Well, you guys took me seriously, didn't you? said last week, if you have to miss either last Sunday or this Sunday, don't miss this Sunday. Well, here you are. Much fuller than I saw it last Sunday. I said uh, last Sunday, I want to talk about a subject today that's uh, very, very important to God. In fact, it's right up there, I think, on top one or two. But before I talk about that and we look at some scripture, I want to read something out of this book. It's a book called Forgiveness, the Ultimate Miracle by Paul J. Meyer, New York Times best-selling, thank you, best-selling author. If I pause some during it, it's because I'm going to stop and try to paraphrase some just for time's sake that we don't have to. It's not that long. It won't take long to read it at all. But if I pause, I'm trying to paraphrase a little bit. My wife and two children were driving back from a movie around 6.30 on a September evening. They were about a few miles from home when a drunk driver pulled right in front of them. It was a head-on collision. The two vehicles smashed together and slid off into the road, slid off the road. It happened so quickly, my wife didn't see it coming. Bam. She woke up with someone tapping on the window of her car. She looked through the window and said, am I dreaming or have I been in a car wreck? He said, you have been in a car wreck. She was bleeding internally as well as from a, a, a gash on her head. Our six-year-old daughter was wedged against the windshield and obviously with a broken arm. Our son, our nine-year-old son was thrown forward and knocked unconscious. I was home mowing the lawn. I, heard the, I didn't hear the phone ring. When I finally went inside, someone called me and said, your family's been in a serious accident. You need to get to the hospital as quick as you can. I felt instantly, he said, that, uh, that it was serious. I quoted the 23rd Psalm all the way to the hospital. When I walked into the emergency room, the doctor gave me the horrible news. I don't think your daughter's going to make it. Because of her age, we're going to put her on life support, but it doesn't look hopeful. I spent the night in the hospital, went home the next morning to get some sleep and gather some things together. My brother from Washington, D.C., who worked in the Pentagon, Flew home, flew that day to be with me, and we drove back to the hospital. Again, uh, by this time, my wife was uh, out of intensive, well, she was out of intensive care. Um, because she had tubes down her throat, she couldn't talk, so she just made a gesture as if to say, how are the children? I told her they were okay, but at the same time, I knew that my daughter, my six-year-old daughter, was cold to the touch. When they unplugged the life support system, 48 hours later, she didn't. She died. Our son was unconscious, suffered severe, uh, a severe concussion, and was unconscious for over a week, paralyzed on the left side of his body for over six weeks. As I sat in the waiting room that following morning, my brother walked in the door. He said, there's a man here that needs to say something to you. The man was the drunk driver. He fumbled and stumbled with his words, trying to say he was sorry, knowing full well there was nothing he could do to right the situation. The more he talked, the more I realized this young man is really messed up. I learned that he had lost his driver's license because of a previous DWI. I looked in the eye and said, if you're here to ask my forgiveness, I give it to you. I forgive you for what you've done to my family. But I have to ask you a question. Are you happy with your life? 
At that moment, he burst into tears and said, no, I'm miserable. I wish my life could change. Right there in the waiting room, I I found myself praying, kneeling on the floor and praying with a man who had killed my daughter. He asked God to forgive him for that. He prayed that God would come into his life and change his life. I marveled at the divine opportunity I had never seen that. I never saw that man again until after the sentencing. To say at least that it was a horrifying experience. We miss our daughter very much, miss her every day. But something good came out of that situation. God has a way of making something good come out of a bad situation. While my wife was in surgery, the doctors discovered that her organs were in the wrong place something that she had had from birth defect that had caused her a great deal of pain over the years. That was corrected, relieving the pain and probably adding to her life. They were able to repair it. My son, who was unconscious for a week and paralyzed six weeks, made a full recovery after about three months. Looking back, I found that forgiveness was a large part of healing. You get to the point where you can release someone and forgive them. Healing cannot start. I read that story because that family was my family. That six-year-old daughter that was killed was my daughter. I was the drunk driver that led the drunk, I was the man that led that drunk driver to Christ. I say that because of what I said in the end of that article. Forgiveness does not, I mean, healing does not start until forgiveness starts. In the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, I think one of the most important prayers that's ever been prayed was prayed because it was prayed by Jesus, and it serves as a model prayer for us, and most of you are familiar with it. Let me just go ahead and start with the prayer itself. Disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, even as John taught his disciples to pray. He said, pray then this in this way. He did not say to pray this prayer. But he said, pray in this way. I've had many people say to me over the years, Barry, I don't know how to pray. How do I learn to pray? This is a good model right here. Just use this as a model. Our Father which art in heaven. Father, I begin my prayer with praising you and thanking you for who you are. But let me just read it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins or debts. Sin always causes an indebtedness and an obligation. Forgive us of that as we have forgiven those who sin against us or indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he gives a a word of warning of all the petitions, and I think there's about seven. We'll look at them in just a moment. Of all the seven petitions... The only one that Jesus felt like needed to be amplified was the thing about forgiveness. And this is what he said. For if you forgive others for your transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you of your transgressions. In that petition, we see, I think, seven petitions there. Three were toward God. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, Some see three more, but I I see four more, and I'll show you what they are. They're give me, forgive me, lead me, and deliver me. Those are the other four. Uh, Paul spoke of forgiveness, uh, uh, and so did uh, many other people in the Bible. Uh, 
But the only thing that Jesus really felt like needed to be amplified was forgiveness of all the things that he taught people to pray about. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because it was absolutely foreign to their ears. To say to a person in that day to forgive someone was foreign to them. They, they, come up, they came up under law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you hurt someone, you're going to hurt them back. So he knew that would be foreign to them. Secondly, he also realized that it was a strong warning that if they neglect it, they're not going to get it. And it doesn't take a seminary graduate to understand what that says. You don't need someone to interpret that for you. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, he is not going to forgive you. Can't be any clearer. Some people that don't forgive, I think don't forgive because they really don't understand the meaning of forgiveness. Different denominations and different cultures that put different emphasis. For example, Mohammed Gandhi, this is what they say, this is what it said. Uh, a, weak cannot, a, a weak person can never forgive. It is, the, it is a, a tribute to a strong person. In other words, he says, if you're a weak person, you won't be able to give. Only strong people can forgive. I couldn't agree. I couldn't disagree more. It's a weak person that forgives, but leaning upon the promises and the strength of God to do it. So, uh, for example, if we don't understand or define the word forgiveness, we won't do it because you can't do it if you don't know what it is. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Excuse me. For some people, the word forgiveness means pardon. And since they have no intentions of pardoning the person, there can be no forgiveness. For others, it's forgetting. You know, we've heard the saying, we're to forgive and forget. And since they have no intentions of ever forgetting what happened and with uh, anger, they're not going to pardon. I mean, forgiveness is not going to take place. So it's very important that we define the word forgiveness because if we don't know what it is, we won't know if, whether or not we give it or not. I have, a little, I have several dictionaries, but one is called a student dictionary. And I, and I took that student dictionary last night and I was looking through it. And I looked up that, the, de- the definition of forgiveness according to this student dictionary. This is what it said. It says it's getting rid of a grudge. It is uh, getting over being angry or, or accepting an apology. I think forgiveness is part of that, but I don't think that's the best definition. The best definition I've ever read or seen about forgiveness is this. It's releasing a person from an offense um, or persons who have hurt you or someone that you love as far as humanly possible. In other words, it's releasing a person from an offense that was done against you or maybe somebody you love as far as humanly possible. You say, well, well, Barry, what if they don't repent? What if they don't ask forgiveness? You're releasing a person from an offense as far as humanly possible. You say, well, what if they don't say they're sorry? Did the people who crucified Jesus say they were sorry? Did that angry mob under him, yelling at him, pulling out his beard and spitting on him and cursing him, did, did either, any of them say, I'm sorry? No. Did he forgive them? Yes. He has to be our example. 
So, when we forgive somebody, we're releasing them from an offense as far as humanly possible. Now, let's see how that plays out in life. Forgiveness begins by acknowledging a hurt. Otherwise, it's denial. You have to say to yourself or agree that you have been hurt in some way. So you, you can't forgive if you really don't acknowledge the fact that someone has hurt you. Only then can you forgive when you acknowledge. There's something I've heard all my life, you probably have too. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. There's no truth to that. Yes, sticks and stones can hurt us. But I'll tell you what, words can hurt us also. You know, a man can strike his wife, hit her in the face, and it'll cause a bruise. But over time, that bruise will heal. But he can say things to his wife that will cause an emotional bruise that may not ever completely heal. So hurt, words hurt us deeply. Uh, so forgiveness, then, is acknowledging the hurt. Secondly, forgiveness is showing mercy. Forgiveness is showing mercy. The last thing they expect, but the first thing that they need is, is mercy. He said, well, Barry, they don't deserve mercy. That's why we call it grace. They say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. That's why we call it mercy. And that's why we call it grace. Mercy is the fruit of forgiveness. God's mercy is, the Bible says, is fresh every day. And aren't we glad that God's mercy is fresh every day? Why? Because if you're like me, you probably need it every day, don't you? And it's something that we can't earn. It's something we don't deserve. It's, it's, his, it's his ability, just because he loves us, to extend mercy. Again, it's not something we can ever earn. So why do we make somebody else try to earn it? When someone hurts you, you try to make them earn mercy. You can't do that. Sometimes the people that hurt us don't even know they hurt us. Sometimes the people that hurt us cannot go back and undo what they've done. The drunk driver that took my daughter's life could never bring her back. His only hope was for somebody to have mercy upon him. Again, I see examples of that uh, in marriage. So someone can uh, maybe cheat on, on their spouse, and uh, they, they will come back and say, uh, I'm sorry. But um, they can't undo it. The only thing that will save the marriage is for the other spouse to be willing to have mercy and to forgive. Thirdly, forgiveness is not keeping a record of wrongs. Some people will never forget the day or the date or the person who hurt them. I know I've said this before, but I'm sure some of you didn't hear it. You say, well, Barry, how do you know that you forgave that drunk driver? Because to, if, if you put a gun to my head and told me, tell me the man's name or I'll shoot you, I'd have to say, well, then shoot me. Because I cannot remember that man's name. And I promise you, had I not forgiven him, I would remember his name. So it's not, uh, forgiveness is not keeping a record of, of wrong. It's uh, so many times in marriage counseling, I've, I've dealt with a couple and one of them cheated on the other one and, and um, they'll say, well, I forgive you. And he'll say, well, my wife tells me she, she forgives me, but she brings it up all the time. She brings it up all the time. Well, the fact that she brings it up all the time indicates she's still hurt. Maybe forgiveness has not been totally complete. 
The Bible says when God forgives, what does he do? He forgets. Now, we're not going to forget what happened to us, but we need to forget the hurt. We need to forget the hurt. The Bible says God cast it into the sea of forgiveness. He he doesn't keep a record. He doesn't bring it up again. So I would say to you, if you're in a marriage situation, one of you have cheated on the other, and you have said, I I forgive you, then forgive them and don't bring it up. Because every time you bring it up, you're wanting to punish that person again. And there's nothing they can do. They can't undo the wrong that they've done. They're, they're at your mercy. And they're asking you for forgiveness. Forgiveness is, not, is living free from bitterness. To forgive is to release a person forgiveness. Uh, is to release a person uh, and, and get away from the bitterness. Uh, again, unforgiveness is, is a, is caused a root of, causes a root of bitterness. The book of Hebrews talks about that root of bitterness. I've discovered in working in my yard that if you want to destroy a plant, you don't just weed eat it. It'll come right back. You have to destroy the root. And the root of bitterness is that unforgiveness that's still there, that still lingers, and we have to deal with that. I remember um, years ago when I was pastoring in Oklahoma, there was a man in the church who was a good man, a sweet guy, fun to be around unless you brought up deacon. If you run up the word deacon, I mean, he just turned red in the face and he got angry. And I found out this was the reason he got angry for that because years and years earlier, he married a woman who had been divorced. And why she was divorced, I don't know. Did her husband abandon her? Did he cheat on her? Did he commit adultery? I don't know. I just know that he married a woman who had been divorced. And every time his name came up as a deacon, guess what? They rejected him. Why? Because he married a woman who had been divorced. In my opinion, that's an awful bad interpretation of husband of one wife. But I know of a lot of people. I know of a couple that uh, I know them very well. They went to four Baptist preachers before they could find somebody that would marry them because she had been divorced. Listen, in the eyes of God, divorce is not an unpardonable sin, and churches need to quit making it that. We can be forgiven. God is a God of mercy and he's a God of grace. In many situations, those people had absolutely no uh, part in that divorce. They didn't want the divorce. The divorce was forced on them. Now they have to wear that like it's some kind of a... So bitterness. uh, We need to to just get ourselves free from bitterness. Bitterness is like uh, burning down your house to destroy a rat. Well, you're the one that's going to suffer from that. Now, let me say this. If, if we hold that bitterness, it's not affecting them, it's affecting you. They're going on with their life. They're laughing, having fun, and having a great time. And, and, but you're harboring that bitterness. It's like a noose around your neck. He's strangling you. So, again, Jesus is saying to us, If you don't forgive someone, God's not going to forgive you, and they're going to control you for the rest of your life, and that's not good. Number five, forgiveness is taking responsibility for our actions. You say, our actions? We don't have any actions. They did it to us. Yes, but you have a reaction to that. 
What are you going to do when the person hurts you? Jesus said, you forgive them. I was a pastor in church once, and there was a woman that, uh, she never came to church the day we had communion. Never came. Why? Because she knew that there was somebody in her life that she hadn't forgiven. So she thought, well, if I, I can't come and take communion until I forgive that person, and I haven't forgiven that person. Listen, that's, that's, that's just a little part of it. God's not going to forgive you. And the Bible says if you regard iniquity in your heart, he doesn't hear our prayers. You see, that woman's locked in bondage. God's not going to respond to her. God's not going to forgive her. God's not going to forgive her. I mean, he'll forgive her, but God says if you regard iniquity in your heart, he doesn't hear our prayers. And we need our prayers heard, don't we? So she's in bondage. I feel sorry for her. Couldn't talk her out of it. She'd never tell me what the person did to her. Only tell me that she was not ever going to forgive that person. Um, number six, forgiveness is an attitude as well as an action. Actions follow attitudes. Our choices control our thinking. When my daughter was killed, it was the most devastating thing that's ever happened to me, probably will ever happen to me in my life. I used to go in there at night in her room and I'd reach in her closet and I'd just pull out a handful of her dresses and I'd lay on her bed and cry myself to sleep. The next morning I'd wake up and here were those dresses. I was still holding them. I said, Lord, you've got to help me. This, this grief is uh, almost overbearing. Here's what the Lord spoke in my spirit one day. He said, thank me for her life. Thank me for her life. And suddenly I quit focusing on my, my loss and I said, God, thank you for the seven years that I had her that I didn't deserve. Thank you for the joy and happiness that that little girl brought into my life for seven years. I didn't deserve any of it. Then I thank them that one day I will see her again. Because the Bible says when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring her back with him. The dead in Christ is going to be raised first. And so for, for, for a thousand years on this earth, I'm going to get to enjoy her again. So develop an attitude of gratitude. Number seven, forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Habits create lifestyles. And if, if forgiveness to you becomes a lifestyle, then you don't have to weigh every little situation. You don't have to ask yourself, well, this person hurt me. Am I going to forgive them? Yes, you're going to forgive them. Why? Because forgiveness to you has become a lifestyle. We see a beautiful example of that in Scripture. Simon Peter. <laughs> you know, he was the bragging one. All, all others forsake you, Lord, I'll never forsake you. He was the first one to forsake him. Do you know this man? No, I don't know this man. Three times he denied Jesus Christ. But on earth he kept saying, you know, I'll never do it. But listen to what he says here. Matthew chapter uh, 19, verse 27. Peter said to him, behold, how often. Uh, he said, uh, I'm sorry, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, yeah. 
I'm looking for the 18th chapter, the 21st verse. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I bet when he said that, his chest was sticking out. Braggadocious. Seven is a perfect number in the Bible. I bet he thought, oh, Peter, you've gone way, way. You know, you're, yeah, you're, you're doing great. Great, Peter, Peter. Yeah. No, that's not what he said. Jesus said to him, I do not say unto you seven times, but, 70, but seven times seventy. They're not giving him a math number there. He's telling him that forgiveness is something that it becomes a lifestyle. It's something that we do. And uh, again, it becomes a lifestyle to us. Then he goes on to tell a story to emphasize what he's just said about forgiveness. He tells a story about a man who owed somebody like $10,000. And he was going to throw him and his family in jail, which was common in those days, until he repaid it. But the Bible says he pleaded and, be and begged with the man. He said, please forgive me. I can't pay this. And so he had mercy and he forgave him. Then he tells a story about a man who only owed $100. And the man came to him. He owed him $100. And he, he came and asked him for his forgiveness. And he wouldn't forgive him. He said, no, I'm going to throw you in jail till you pay this $100. And the one who had forgiven him heard the story, called him back and said, by the way, I reverse my decision. You're no longer forgiven. And Jesus said, so will our Heavenly Father do to you if you don't forgive. You see how important forgiveness is to God? When I've heard evangelists, you know, trying to draw a big offering. They'll say, oh, you're never, like, never more like God than when you're giving. No. Oh, you're never more like God than when you're forgiving, not giving. So, it should become a lifestyle for us. Number eight. Uh, by the way, forgiveness is the fruit of uh, forgive. Uh, for, I'm, I'm sorry, I get right it. Forgiveness shows that we appreciate our forgiveness from God. I don't know of another way that we can show God more that we we thank Him for our forgiveness than when we show others that. Uh, forgiveness is not showing approval. Number eight. Um, if we show our approval and say, oh, it's no big deal, then they're likely to do it to us again. So it's not that the fact that we're saying, uh, I, I don't, you know, I disapprove. We're saying, yeah, I disapprove of what you did. But at the same time, I forgive you. For approval is, is acceptance and forgiveness is not that. So we're not saying I approve of what you did. Number nine, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I've heard that said all my life. Well, if you don't forgive, if you don't forget, you don't forgive. The Hebrew word for that too is called baloney. I'll never forget my daughter. I'll never forget that she was killed on September the 1st, 1991. But I don't harbor resentment in my heart. When I, when I think about her, uh, see, for, forgetting something is a, is a mental thing. It's a psychological thing. But forgiving is a spiritual thing you do with your heart. But to say to someone, if you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven, is not true. Now, if you're still remembering that with bitterness and with anger, that might be true. 
But don't say, well, I can't forget what happened to me because that is, uh, you're not going to forget it, but you can still forgive it. I forgive the hurt, but not the, I forget the hurt, but not the event. Again, trying to forget sometimes is uh, just it's an act of denial. Uh, sometimes it's even suppressing it. I, well, I remember years ago, uh, I had a couple in my church, a very dear friend of mine. Uh, his son came back from Vietnam. And a lot of people that come back from Vietnam had a, had a real struggle re- readjusting, and he couldn't do it. He finally took his own life. And he was probably 30 years old. But six months before that, a very close friend of theirs had a son that was killed in a car wreck. And it was amazing, amazing how that woman handled that grief when her son was killed. But then six months later, when her friend's son committed suicide, she fell apart. I mean, had to be institutionalized. Well, what happened to her? See, when her son was killed, she felt like she needed to be strong for people, strong for her husband, strong for her other children. But when her friend's son died, she didn't have to be strong for anybody. And all at once, all that emotion that had been built up in her just released, and it was overwhelming. So we don't suppress it. Uh, number 10, from a human side, it is not an obligation, but an opportunity to do the right thing. I did not forgive that drunk driver because I felt like I was obligated to do that. I did it because it was the right thing. Forgiveness is a choice, not an obligation. And so if we say, well, I'm going to forgive you only because I have to give you, it's an obligation, I have to do it, that's really not from the heart. So we forgive because it's the right thing to do. It's what Jesus would do. And then number 11, It's not letting a person off the hook. You think, well, if I, if I forgive that person, I'm letting them off the hook. Look, what, look at the bad thing they did. And for me to forgive them, it's, it's to let them off the hook. No, no it's, I didn't let the drunk driver off the hook. I didn't go to the police and say, oh, by the way, I forgive him. I want you all to forgive him. I fully expected him to go to jail. I fully expected him to go to jail. All I did was turn him over to God. And the Bible says, God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And he judges fairly. So don't don't get the idea that if I forgive this person, I'm letting them off the hook. God's not going to let them off the hook. God will deal with them, but let God do it. Well, let's do one more. Forgiveness is not restoration. I think I've touched on this before, maybe another message, but... uh, forgiveness is not restoration. You may have an employee that worked for you that stole from you and you fire him and you're not under any obligation to rehire him just because you forgive him. I have fired staff members before, blessed them, but I wouldn't rehire them. They've broken my trust. And restoration is a process, not an event. And that's what happens again in marriages. Sometimes I've had, I've had men, more men come to me and say, well, listen, I made a mistake. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. I've asked my wife to forgive me. Why can't she just forgive me and let's move on? Because you're confusing forgiveness with restoration. 
Restoration is a process. I remember, I knew a man one time that uh, he uh, left his wife and married another woman. He realized he'd made a great mistake. He divorced that woman. He, he married after her. I said, well, are you going to go back and try to get your wife to come back to you? He said, no, I'm going to try to prove to her that I'm a changed man. I want her to see that I not only uh, was I wrong in doing what I did, but I'm a changed man. And I'm willing to wait as long as it takes for her to see that I am a, a changed man. So restoration is a wonderful thing. I, I love to see restoration take place in marriages. But we have to remember that forgiveness can be instant. I say, I forgive you, I forgive you. But restoring that person back to the place of trust where they fell is something different. Many people have asked me over the years, well, Barry, whatever happened to the drunk driver? He basically got off. He basically got off. There was a, a law in those days in Oklahoma that you had to administer the sobriety test within two hours of the accident, or it wasn't admissible evidence. So he went to the hospital in the same ambulance that my family went in, but by the time they got him to the hospital and checked him out and uh, took him downtown and uh, over two hours he'd elapsed. So during the trial, alcohol was not an issue, even though he was twice over the limit. But he lied. He said he wasn't drunk. And uh, they asked for 10 years for murder Murder one, I think, uh, manslaughter with a motor vehicle, I think was what they accused him of. And uh, he probably spent 90 days in jail and was back out on the street. Again, I don't know what happened to him. I have no idea. Wouldn't know how to contact him if, 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 I, if I wanted to and have no reason. But as I was thinking about that, I, one day the Lord gave me a verse of Scripture, and he didn't give it to me necessarily for comfort, but he gave it to me. And all at once this verse just came to me. It's Proverbs 28 and 13. It says this. He that conceals or tries to cover his sins will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So the very fact that he tried to conceal his sin or cover his sin, God said he will not prosper. Well, that's between he and the Lord. I think of the O.J. Simpson thing that happened many years ago. You kids probably don't even remember that. I don't think there's a person in America that doesn't think O.J. Simpson killed those people. But you have to prove that in the court of law beyond the shadow of a doubt, and that didn't take place. And so he was free. But then he turns right around and goes back to jail for doing something else. And to this day, I don't see him. I don't ever hear anything from him, but I, I don't see him as being a happy person. I promise you, if you try to conceal your sin, God says he knows it anyway. Be sure your sins will, will find you out. Forgiveness. Releasing a person from an offense as far as humanly possible. It's an awfully big thing to God. And he wants it to be a big thing to you. 
I want to close today by leading you in uh, something that uh, may be just kind of symbolic to you, but I, but I think it'll help. I know it kind of helped me when I did it, but here's what I want you to do. Even though you say, well, Barry, I don't know of anybody I need to forgive. But there's, I guarantee there'll be people in this congregation, probably many, that may, that may need to. So, so I'm going to ask that we all do it, whether you feel like you need to or not. So would you stand with me for a moment? Okay, this is what I'd like for you to do. Put your arms out like this. Put them out just like this. I want you to symbolically see that person that hurts you in your arms right now. You're holding that person that hurts you. That person's only hope is for you to have mercy on them. And God, the Bible says that God works through us both to will and to do His good pleasure. God just wants to know today are you willing to do it? If you're willing to do it, he'll give you the strength to do it, I promise. Okay, we're holding that person in our arms right now. And we're saying to that person, I forgive you. In just a moment, we're going to release them. And for some, it's going to be a thud. And for some of you, you may have to shake it off two or three times, okay? And you may even have to repeat it. But not right now, would you just with me say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I release this person as far as humanly possible and just drop them. Open your hands and just drop them. Father, we've done what you asked us to do. Now you do what you can do. You bring the grace and the strength and the comfort that we need. In Jesus' name, let's worship the Lord together. Mm-hmm.